Uh, All right, well, I'm just going to catch you up to speed just a little bit to bring us up to Romans chapter 6 because we first studied the first five chapters. Um, A couple of weeks ago, week one, uh, our title was, and if I could get it on that back screen too so I could be seeing it as well, our title was Introduction, uh, I'm Not Ashamed. So it was an introduction uh, to what we were doing and it was talking about our key verse from Romans 1.16, which is, For I am not ashamed of the gospel... For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. So Paul, he first starts this out by saying, Romans 1.16, I have some good news, gospel, you and Gelion in the Greek. I have some good news that we should not be ashamed of. But before he gets into that good news, he first talks about the bad news. And we all know in order to appreciate good news, we first have to come to grips with and understand the reality of the bad news. You know, when your mom or your dad says, hey, listen, I've got good news and bad news, you always want the bad news up front so that it can end with the good news so you can leave that conversation just feeling, feeling well and feeling good. And so Paul does the same thing. He says, Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of euangelion, of the gospel, good news, literally. I'm not ashamed of the good news. But then he goes on into the bad news and just basically says, hey, we got to first understand this bad news before we appreciate the good news that we're going to talk about. And that's when week two, we talked about the big word condemnation, condemnation, having to come to grips with the fact that the condition of our hearts is not okay. All right. We are broken sinners who have been separated from God because of our own choices and because of our own actions. So week two was talking about condemnation. When you condemn something, you're calling it bad. You're calling it wicked. You're calling it evil. And the bad news is that when the Bible talks about bad people and wicked people, it's referring to us and the whole world at large. I mean, just turn on your news and you can see all of the things that are going on in our world. It's messed up. And we are all a part of this colony of bad people. And so this is the bad news that Paul talks about. He says, we're all bad people. And in Romans 3.23, it says, for all have sinned. Sinned is just another way of saying we're all missing the mark of God's perfection. We're all falling short of it. And then the punishment is, we talked about uh, the key verse, Romans 1.18, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all this ungodliness, against all this unrighteousness of men. So the bad news gets even worse. We're not only bad people, we're not only all sinners, but for the sinner and the bad person, the wrath of God remains on that person. Bad news. Welcome to Young Adults tonight. The wrath of God remains on us as sinners. And so Paul talks about this bad news. Now the question becomes, is there anything that we can do? Is there anything we can do? Any any good works we can do? Any, Any amount of money that we can do to buy our way out of the wrath of God? And the bad news goes from worse news to even worser news. The fact that we can't do anything about it. We can't work our way out of it. We can't buy God out of it. And so God's condemnation, God's wrath, uh, a promise of eternal punishment in hell, that all remains on us as sinners because we've broken God's commands. We've broken his law. And so that's, this is the bad news of Scripture. And then last week, thankfully, the bad news doesn't end on that note. We talked about the word justification. I'm declared righteous. And man, was God moving... Uh, Last Monday night, um, and hopefully some of you who made the decision last week are here tonight, but uh, if you weren't here last week, 
um, people came forward and made decisions to accept Christ as their Savior and to follow after Christ. Yeah, give God praise for that. Because this, this is the good news that we're talking about. Okay, we're bad people and we're sinners and we deserve God's punishment because He's a just and fair God and He's giving us what we deserve. But the good news is that God, because of His love for you and me, He sent His Son Jesus to die for us on the cross and to take our place. Because the Bible says that He loves us all. He wants no one to perish. He doesn't want anyone to experience His wrath or experience His punishment. But because He's holy and because He's just and righteous, His judgment must be properly expressed on sin. Okay, Just like if someone wronged you or someone committed a crime against you, you would want justice to rightfully be served to them. You'd want the punishment to meet the crime. Okay, we're all criminals, the Bible says. And so God, because He's just, because He's righteous, He can't go against His nature and His character. He has to punish sin. But He made a way for us to be saved from out of that sin. And that's what we talked about last week, justification. And an easy way to remember justification, or this is kind of the definition of justification first, is it's a legal verdict of saying you're not guilty. Okay, you're acquitted of the crimes. You're, You're forgiven of the crimes. An easy way to remember the word justification is just as if I'd never sinned. And we talked about the image of a courtroom. Okay, you come into the courtroom and the judge, his name is God, okay? And you are the criminal. And you come before God, who's the judge, and he presents all of your crimes, all your sins, okay? All your lies, all your, you know, whatever. You can name it in your head. You know yourself better than I do. Uh, I, I, you know, I have the same as well. So I, I've got my list before God of all my crimes. And because he's a good judge, he's got to punish my crimes. But a righteous, perfect man who didn't do anything wrong comes into the courtroom and he goes to the judge and he pays the judge uh, to acquit me for all of my crimes. And therefore, the judge says, you are acquitted, you are forgiven, you are justified, and you can go free. You can walk free. That's what Jesus did for us. He walked into that courtroom and he paid off of our fine when he died for us on the cross. And now, because of that, God looks at us and he says, you can walk free if you place your faith in Jesus Christ. If you give your life to Jesus Christ. You extend your faith, your trust in Jesus Christ. You believe on him, you're forgiven, you're acquitted. This is the good news of the gospel. And so now we come to Romans chapter 6. And now, after we've been saved, after we've given our lives to Christ, what is life supposed to look like now? Okay, what is life for a Christian? What is life for a person who's given their life to Christ? How does that look in the remaining years of our life? Um, And and Paul talks about that here in Romans chapter 6. So let's read in Romans 6, verse 1. Let's read the first uh, 14 verses together. Uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 1 says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How How shall we who died to sin live in sin any longer? Verse 3, Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should, should walk in newness 
of life. Verse 5, For if we have been united together in the likeness of His death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of His resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more, death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death that He died, He died to sin once for all, but the life that He lives, He lives to God. Likewise, okay, likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lusts, and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Verse 14, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Let's pause there and pray. God, we commit our Bible study to you now, and uh, we're just continuously grateful, Lord, for the work that you did last week um, in, in saving those who came forward just to accept you as, as their Savior, Lord. Continue to just do a refining work in our hearts, Lord. Continue to just grow us closer to you, Lord, to mature us in the Lord. And I pray that as we dig out Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8, I pray that you would just... Um, Maybe you would allow us to read it in a fresh way that we, we've never read it before, that you would just take off the blinders from our eyes, Lord, so that we could read your word and you would just give us understanding, you'd give us clarity uh, with uh, your Holy Spirit, Lord. So we just pray that you would be with us now, that you would protect us, Lord, that you would continue to encourage us in our friendships, in our community here at Young Adults, that you would continue to uh, just speak to us. Um, so speak to us now through the reading of your word, Lord. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Okay, so up to this point, Paul, he's doing his best to make something clear. That we're not saved by our works, but we're saved by God's grace. Okay, we're not saved by our works. Okay, there's nothing you can do to earn your way to get into a right relationship with God, but we are saved by God's grace. God's grace is a gift. You can't earn it. So Paul's made that clear in the first five chapters. And then he asks a rhetorical question in verse one of chapter six. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? So Paul's basically like, should we keep on sinning? So that grace, God's grace can just continue to more and more and more grace because when we were living in sin, God was showing us his grace by saving us. So should we just keep on doing bad stuff and living in sin so that God's grace can continue to increase? And it's a rhetorical question because he says, certainly not. He's like, no way. So in response to this free gift of salvation to God's grace in our lives, listen, God calls us now to stop living for ourselves, to stop living for our sin, and to start living for the Lord. Okay, so when you come into relationship with God, through His grace, through our faith in Jesus Christ, what's our life now supposed to look like? So Paul talks in in chapter 6 here, he says, listen, in verse 1, he's like, should we keep on sinning so that God's grace may abound and increase? No, He's, he's basically like, listen, sin now no longer can have any rule or reign in our lives. Okay, if you are a Christian and you're a follower of Christ, 
We have to stop living for ourselves and we have to start living for the Lord. We have to start living for what pleases the Lord. We have to start living for what honors the Lord, what gives the Lord glory. Because up until this point, if, you know, before you were saved, uh, you were just living for yourself. You were just doing whatever felt right. Whatever felt right to you, naturally, you would just do. Okay, but Paul says here in, in verse 1, he says, listen, we, we, can't, we can't keep walking in this way. Okay, stop living for yourself. Stop living for sin. Start living for the Lord. If you're in Christ, He's given you new desires, no longer to pursue what you want, but to pursue what He wants, to pursue godly things, to pursue godly activities, to talk how Jesus talks, to walk how Jesus walked. We're supposed to model and emulate Jesus' life. Don't live for yourself any longer. And this is where we come to our title for tonight, the big word, sanctification. Sanctification, I'm pursuing holiness. Now, the word sanctification actually doesn't even appear in the entire book of Romans, but the concept clearly does. Um, I'm going to spit off some verses uh, that are also written by Paul. Um, 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. So us being sanctified, it's actually the will of God for us. Um, John 17.17, 17, this is John who wrote... Um, is actually Jesus speaking in the Gospel of John. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Paul said in Ephesians 5.26 that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. Okay, he wrote in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul talks about sanctification, the word sanctify, sanctified, uh, numerously throughout his different letters, although it doesn't appear in the book of Romans, he talks about what sanctification means. Um, the word sanctification is related to the word saint. Okay, if, if you haven't heard of sanctification, you've probably heard the word saint. Both have uh, come from the same root and both mean holiness. Okay, and it talks about uh, this being set apart from. Okay, so now that we are in Christ, we are to now be sanctified. We are to separate ourselves from the world. Okay, I'm no longer going to live for the world. I'm no longer going to live in the world, do the things of the world, curse like the world, um, talk like the world, get drunk like the world. I'm, no, I'm going to separate myself from the world because those are the things that don't please the Lord. And I'm going to separate myself to the Lord. So sanctification has a separating from and a separation Two, separating from the world and separating ourselves to the Lord. Um, to sanctify something means to set aside yourself for a purpose of holy living. So Paul, throughout the next three chapters, six, seven, and eight, he's going to emphasize the need to throw off our sinful desires and to chase after the things that please the Lord. That's why I look at verse five. That's why Paul says in verse five, for if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Okay, so Paul's saying in, in, the, in these verses, he, he's like, because we're uniting ourselves with Christ, okay, because we're publicly now affiliating ourselves with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God has set us free from sin and death. So we're no longer slaves of sin and death. Listen, whether you realized it or not, before you came to know Christ, you were a slave. 
And you were a slave to your sin. You were a slave to death. And so Paul talks about how because we're now united with Christ, when you believe in Christ, you're now united with Him. Uh, We're no longer slaves to sin. We're no longer slaves to death. But actually, we are still slaves, but we're slaves to something else. We're actually slaves to someone else. We're slaves to God. We're slaves to righteous living. So our new master is our, our new allegiance. Our new master is the Lord. Listen, here's a, a basic principle. Your behavior reflects who you belong to. Your behavior reflects who you belong to. Okay, so for example, has anyone ever come up to you and uh, say, you know, you take just after your dad um, or, or you look just like your mom? You know, hopefully it'd be a, a girl that they'd say that to, you know. You know, if, they, if someone came to me, man, you look just like your mom. You know, I don't know how I'd take that. I mean, I guess, I mean, my mom's a beautiful woman, I guess, but I hope I don't look like a, a woman. Um, anyways, who you belong to, you start to reflect, you start to emulate. Okay, so I'm sure, you know, walking down the street or maybe your dad or your mom introduces you to someone and you're like, man, you look just like your dad, you look just like your mom, or uh, your humor is just like your dad, the apple doesn't fall from the, far from the tree. Okay, because you obviously grew up uh, under their care, under your dad or your mom's care, in that environment, okay, you have their DNA, and so your behavior uh, reflects who you belong to, uh, how you act, how you behave, how you joke, the way you walk, the way you talk. It's emulating who you grew up around, who you belong to. Okay, it's the same way with the Lord. It's the same way with our relationships with the Lord. And Paul, what Paul's getting at here, he's basically like, listen, sanctification all has to do with behavior. It's all about how you walk. It's all about how you talk. It's all about how you act. And the way you act, the way you talk, the way you walk, your behavior, it's going to reflect either that you belong to the Lord or the fact that you belong to the world. So in reading these verses, in digesting this, you have to ask yourself, does my behavior, do my actions, the way I walk, the way I talk, Yes, even the way I dress, okay, I'm not being legalistic here, but how I'm perceived, uh, how I talk, how I walk, what I do, where I go, the parties I do or don't go to, the people I hang out with now, the way you are around a group of people, okay, listen, your behavior, your, your actions, all of that stuff, how you walk and talk, it reflects something, and it reflects whose you are. Okay, so those things matter, that, you know, how you talk and walk and all of that stuff, because it's a reflection of who you belong to. And the way you walk, the way you talk, doesn't reflect that you belong to a loving, holy, good, righteous, faithful Father in heaven, or does your behavior just look like the rest of the world? Because I'm telling you, if you start to just look and talk and walk and do everything that the world is doing, they are not going to see anything of significance in your life that you have to offer them, namely being Christ. So if you're just looking and talking like the rest of the world, and listen, we're all guilty of it, but if you continue to persist in those patterns and in those habits, it's a reflection of who you belong to. I heard this great quote, I read it today, the Christian will do most for the world when the Christian is least like the world. I'll say that again, the Christian will do most for the world when the Christian is least like the world. Because listen, I've heard the argument, well listen, I'm just... I'm just cussing like everybody else. I'm just going to all the parties. I'm just walking and talking like everybody else because I want to be relatable. I want to be able to 
uh, reach out to my friends who don't know Christ. And so, you know, on some level, I just want to act like them so that I'm relatable to them. Listen, that's not going to do anything for your friend because you don't look any different than they do. Why would they want the Jesus that you follow? You're acting and you're doing everything that your friends are doing. They're not going to think that you have anything of significance to offer. Listen, whether your friends uh, realize it or not, they are thirsting for truth. They are thirsting for a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we can play it off like, hey, I'm cool. I do all the things and I go to all the places and I'm doing what everybody else is doing because we're not wanting to stand out in a weird sense. We're not wanting to be different in that kind of a sense. But listen, our friends who don't know the Lord, they are dying in their sins. And if you truly love them, you're going to act unlike them so that they notice something is different about you so that you can point them to Christ so that you can lead them to that relationship with the Lord. But if we're acting like the rest of the world, we're talking and walking and doing all that stuff that they're doing, they are not ever going to be interested or ask those questions about, hey, what do you have? What, what do you have that I don't have? Your life's not perfect, but you're going through this trial and you're going through this circumstance that I know has to be trying and difficult, but yet you still come to work and you still have some kind of a joy or a happiness. Like, I don't get you, man. Like, allow them to be curious about your behavior because you don't act like them, but because you, you act unlike them that it points them to something's different about you. What, what do you have? The Christian will do most for the world when you act least like the world. We have to start believing it, even though we feel awkward and different, because listen, I understand the pressure of just wanting to just be like everybody else, just fit in, just fly under the radar. I don't want to stand out. I don't want to be the oddball. But listen, a relationship with Jesus Christ, get used to it. We're not going to look like the rest of the world. But in the end, if we don't act like the rest of the world and we point them to that greater love, that greater satisfaction, that greater truth that is in a relationship with Jesus Christ, listen, it will gravitate their hearts to find out what you have. And that will do more for them than just fitting in with them. Just trust it. You have to just trust God's word to be true and to live for the Lord. Now that we belong to God in Christ Listen, we can no longer allow sin to rule over us. Look at verse 8. Verse 8. Now, if we died with Christ, now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. Paul is going to use that word dominion three times in the next two chapters. Dominion. It's the Greek word kuriuo, and it means to be lord of or to rule over. So Paul says, death no longer has kuriuo over Christ. Death no longer rules over Christ. Death no longer reigns or has lordship over Christ. And then he goes on in verse 10 to say, for the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also Reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Verse 12, therefore do not let sin reign in your bodies. Do not let sin reign 
in your bodies, reign. It's the Greek word basiliuo, and it means to be king over or to exercise a high influential power over you. So let me read it again. Therefore, do not let sin be king over or to exercise influence over your bodies. Paul's like the process of sanctification, the process of growing in the Lord, becoming more like the Lord, being molded into his image. It has to start with us setting aside sin. But listen, setting aside sin, it it happens because death no longer rules over Christ. Therefore, sin no longer has to rule over us because we're now in Christ. So the fact that we're now in Christ means that when you were in your sin, when, when you were Outside of a relationship with Christ, sin was your master. You had no choice. You couldn't live for the Lord even if you wanted to. But now that you are in Christ and united in Him, because death no longer rules over Jesus, sin no longer has to rule over you. And then in verse 13, he goes on to say, And do not present your members as instruments. It's the Greek word hoplon, instruments. And it means a tool or a weapon. Okay, so it says... uh, Do not present your members or your your body as a tool of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments. There's that word again, as tools of righteousness to God, of right living. Paul's like, listen, our bodies, we've got to start using our bodies as tools, not for unrighteousness, but as weapons of holy living, living for the Lord. And then he says in verse 14, I love this verse, For sin shall not have dominion over you. It's that same Greek word. Sin shall no longer have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but you're under grace. So because death no longer rules or has dominion over uh, Jesus, sin no longer has to have its dominion over you. Listen, I know in our walks with the Lord, we often feel like we're trapped in our sin. We often feel like sin is just ruling and reigning over our lives. How can I get out of this sin? I thought I was saved. I thought I was a new creature in Christ. But sin still has its way in my life. Still, sin has its big part in my heart. What can I do? You know, I thought that I was a new creation in Christ. Paul says, in, in chapter 6, in the first verse, he says, the old man is gone, but I still feel like I'm living in the old man, in the old person, the old person who used to do all of the things that I did before I was in Christ. But God, through Paul, gives this promise that because death no longer rules over Jesus, sin no longer has to rule over you. Put aside sin and live for the Lord. Listen, a relationship with Christ is much like the process of physical maturation. Okay, so when you're born, uh, okay, you don't pop out of the womb just chewing down a nice hearty steak. Okay? okay, you obviously are born as a baby and your mother gives you milk. Okay, and then later you continue to physically grow. You move on from diapers. You move into eating solid food. Okay, a relationship with the Lord is exactly the same. Okay, do not be discouraged if you, know, you, you, know, if you got saved last week here at Young Adults or you've been saved for a couple of weeks or a couple of months or, or a year or so and you see your friends who have been walking with the Lord for a long time and you see that, man, they just know their Bible way better than I do and they're just walking with the Lord in just a much more mature fashion than I am. 
Okay, listen, don't, don't be discouraged by that. Uh, be uh, gracious with yourself. Okay, our spiritual maturation. Okay, in John 3, uh, Jesus says that those who are in Christ, they, were, they are born again. And he's talking about a spiritual rebirth. Okay, so just like there's a physical birth, there's also a spiritual birth. And that spiritual birth is when you come into a relationship with Christ. But just like a physical birth where you, it takes some time to grow and to mature and to get out of the diapers and to eat solid foods, okay, the same is with our spiritual growth and our spiritual maturation process, the process of sanctification. Okay, it's going to take a time and a process of just growing in the Lord, walking with the Lord, learning in the Lord. But listen, um, just to be very direct, some of you have been walking with Christ for a long time, but you're still wearing diapers. Some of you have been walking with Christ for a long time and you're still eating baby food. Okay, and because I love you and because we all need to grow together in the Lord, it's time to move on to more solid food. Okay, maybe a reason just consider that you feel that you are still stuck in the same sin that you have been for a long time is because you have not taken your walk with Christ in a serious disciplinary fashion. That you... You love the Lord and you, you, you want to grow in the Lord. I'm not denying that the passion is not there, that the desire to love the Lord and grow in the Lord is not there. But are, have you been disciplining yourself in the, in the Word? Have you been going before the Lord with your Bible, um, setting aside time daily in your schedule, just sitting before the Lord, just learning and growing in Him and praying before Him and, and getting alone with the Lord and, and just praying before Him. And listen, this is challenging to myself. I've been, you know, the process of sanctification is a lifelong journey. Paul even says in, uh, I believe it's Philippians, um, I do not pretend like I've attained perfection. Okay, we are all in this process of maturation, but some of us are slower in that process because we are not disciplining ourselves in the Lord and just soaking in His Word and just getting alone with Him. And this has been more recently challenged to myself to actually just dedicate time. You know, I can justify my schedule all day long. I've got two uh, girls under the age of two and, and, and want more sleep and just all this different stuff that I know that you guys have different things in your schedules that don't affect me. And, and we can just spin this cycle all day long as to why I haven't been in the word and I haven't been doing this. I know I should, but I've just been you know, busy doing these things. Listen, set, sit down with your schedule and, and just, just dedicate time with, with the word. Just be, be intentional about it. Even just start, listen, just start slow. Don't put unrealistic expectations on your walk with Christ. On, you know, don't be legalistic about it, but be serious about it. And just sit down and say, I'm going to dedicate 10 minutes a day to reading the Bible. 10 minutes. 10 minutes a day. It's, it's easier said than done. 10 minutes a day. In 10 minutes, the average person can read roughly, um, I read it was like 200 some words in a couple of minutes. Okay, so you can, on average, the average person, I'm a really slow reader, but the average person can read like uh, three chapters of the Bible in a half an hour. Okay, so read um, a chapter of the Bible for 10 minutes and just make it a daily habit. Make it a daily practice. I'm not, I'm not making a, a legalistic set of rules for you to follow. I'm just trying to give some boundaries and some guidelines in hopes to just encourage us all just to be serious with the Lord, to grow in the Lord, to mature in the Lord, to move on from 
milk. You know, Peter says I, to uh, the church he was writing to, listen, I, I only gave you, uh, I only gave you uh, milk because you weren't ready for solid foods yet. But now that you're ready for solid foods yet, you're not digesting it. And so I'm going to have to go back to giving you milk. And he was trying to prod them on and encourage them on to mature and grow in the Lord. Listen, grow in the Lord by just studying his word and just by praying and reading. Something I'm doing is I'm going through the book of Genesis. So I'm reading two chapters in Genesis and I'm reading one chapter in the Psalms. Two chapters in Genesis, one chapter in the Psalms. It takes me a half an hour or so trying to make a daily practice of it. And it doesn't come easy. And there are interruptions. Uh, be gracious with yourself. Don't beat yourself up. Don't try to play catch up. And now, man, I'm five chapters behind. I'm going to read 10 chapters today. Okay, it's not going to happen. Not going to do it. Just say, I missed, missed yesterday. I'm going to read a chapter today. And just this steady process of just continuing to mature in the Lord and to grow in Him. The encouraging thing, though, is that we do not have to do this on our own. Our walk and our maturation process with the Lord cannot be done in our own strength. Um, And this is where the solution comes into effect. The power of God's Holy Spirit living in us. Okay, because the problem is, we're wanting to live for the Lord because now we're in Christ and He's given us new desires, He's given us new passions, and so we want to live for the Lord But the fact of the matter is, even though our spirit has been regenerated, we still live in the same physical bodies. How depressing is that? So our spirit has been regenerated in Christ, but we still live within these fleshly, physical, mortal, sinful bodies. And so what happens is, Paul talks about in other epistles and other letters, there's this war waging within us. Our flesh, wanting just to do everything that pleases our desires, and the spirit God has given us that is wanting to please the Lord. And these two things are constantly waging war against one another. And so Paul presents this problem. We have the flesh and we have the spirit. But here's the solution. God has given us as a promise, as a guarantee of our salvation. He's given us his actual spirit. His actual spirit. Um, look at Romans chapter 8 verse 11. Chapter 8, verse 11. This, this blows my mind every time I read this, but it says in Romans 8, 11, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your immortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Listen, I don't know if you understood that, but Paul is saying here that the same power, the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from death to life actually dwells within you when you're in a relationship with Christ. You no longer have to live this life and fight the flesh and fight sin, fight those bad habits that you've been struggling with for years. You no longer have to do it in your own strength. It's impossible. It's impossible for us to defeat sin in our own strength. But it comes with a promise of God's spirit within you. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives within you. Do you believe that? Do you trust that? Are you walking in that? Believe it because it's a promise, not on my words, but on the words of the Lord. At the moment of salvation, God gives you his Holy Spirit. Look at verse 26 of chapter 8. Chapter uh, chapter 8, 26. Likewise, The Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. His Spirit is helping us fight sin, fight temptation, live for the Lord, live 
and walk in a manner that pleases the Lord. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. The Spirit God gave, us, God gave us gives us life, love, power, and self-discipline. This is God's Holy Spirit. God's Spirit lives within us to help us walk in obedience. So God's Spirit is now living in us, but here, listen, this is a part of the solution. We have to feed the Holy Spirit. We have to feed it. Paul says in Galatians chapter 8, listen, if you feed the flesh, you will reap corruption. But if you feed the Spirit, you will reap everlasting life. Whatever you feed, that will overcome you. Whatever you feed, that is the thing that you will become. I've told this story before, but uh, she's dead now. We had a dog, uh, best dog in the world, and we called her Augie. Augie the doggy. Great dog, chocolate lab, um, so friendly. Um, she did bite our neighbor on the butt once, but that was his fault. He shouldn't have done what he was doing. Um, anyways, but great dog, um, but she would get into trouble, especially like food, man. If you left anything on the counter, you left anything anywhere, she would sniff it out, she would find it, and uh, this, was, this was our issue with her. Uh, one day, though, she, uh, it was Valentine's Day, and so in the house, there was just a bunch of chocolate and all that, you know, sappy stuff that comes along with Valentine's Day. And there was some Dove dark chocolate uh, in my parents' bedroom. And we uh, went out. We, we got some dinner as a family. We came back, and our dog, all we found on the, on the floor was just diarrhea and vomit, like all over the floor. It was, it, was, it was a mess. And we were like, they looked at me like, did you do this? I was like, I didn't. <laughs> It's like, I've been with you. I, I was with you the whole time. What are you talking about? They're like, it, it was that? It wasn't me. And then we finally, we stumble across our dog who was laying on the floor just completely passed out. And I was like, see, like, like it, was, it, was, it was fine. I'm fine. And so we found out that she, then we went, ran upstairs. She had gotten into that whole uh, pound of Dove dark chocolate and she just, it just ran right through her. So my dad gets on the phone with Poison Control, calls Poison Center, and he says, hey, listen, my dog just ate uh, a pound of Dove dark chocolate. And if, if you know anything about dogs, uh, chocolate is actually poisonous to dogs, okay? So keep the chocolate away. And so my dad is frantically on the phone. He's like, listen, uh, my dog just ate a pound of Dove dark chocolate. Um, what should I do? Should I take her to the vet? Like, is she just going to die on the spot? Like, what, what's going to happen? And they, they calculated her weight uh, measured with the amount of chocolate she ate. And then they got back on the phone with my dad and they said, hey, good news. The ratio of her weight to the amount of chocolate she ate, she's not going to die, but she will continue to have diarrhea for the next week. And we're like, okay, okay, we can, we can deal with that. We can deal with that, but at least she won't die. But one of the things that the doctor told my dad on the phone, and we'll never forget this, they said, listen, now that she has tasted chocolate, she will always crave it. Now that she's tasted it, she will always crave it. You got to keep the chocolate away. Put it in the shelf, put it high up, like whatever you do, you have to be more careful about leaving chocolate around because now that she has tasted it, she will always crave it. Listen, it's the same with our sin. When we dabble in sin and when we taste sin, even though the Bible says sin is pleasing for a time, sin is pleasurable for a season. Listen, when we taste sin, we will continuously crave it. And the, more and, the, and the more and more you continually feed your cravings, your flesh, it will lead to your destruction. That's what Paul says in Galatians chapter 6. 
So the more you feed your flesh, you will reap destruction. But listen, the more you feed the Spirit, the more you feed the things of the Lord in your life, it will reap everlasting life. So we have to ask ourselves a question in our lives. What are we feeding? What are we feeding? And just ask yourself, as you just study His Word, as you're just in your prayer closet with the Lord just before Him, Lord, point these things out to me in my life, the things that are not pleasing to You, but the things that I continuously feed. Whether it's just anger in your life, you just continually give in to anger. Whether it's just lust, you continually feed lust in your heart. Whatever it might be in your life, listen, you have to ask yourself, what am I feeding? Because the thing that I feed will be the very thing that will consume me. And whatever consumes me will lead to my either destruction or my everlasting life. And if I feed the things of my flesh and I continuously crave after those things and give in to those cravings, the Bible says that it will only reap destruction in our lives. Sin, man, I don't know if sin has ever, if, if sin has destroyed things in your family, but But sin destroys families. Sin destroys uh, work. You you can be fired from your job. Different things that our tendency, our flesh just wants to do. Listen, sin, wherever it goes, though it might be fun and pleasing for a season, it will only destroy. It will either destroy our families, it will destroy the people we love the most, or it will destroy ourselves, or all of the above. But if we feed the things of the flesh, and by feeding the flesh, by by, or sorry, by feeding the Spirit. If we feed the things of the Spirit, by feeding the, the, the things of the Spirit in our lives, that's getting before Him and just studying His Word and just reading His Word and just being encouraged by the Psalm of the day or just reading the Gospels, reading the New Testament. And listen, don't be discouraged. The fact that, you don't, the fact that we don't understand everything in this book, that's a good thing because it causes us to ask God questions. God loves our questions. Don't be intimidated by Uh, things you don't understand in the Bible, just read through it, pray through it. The Lord promises to give us spiritual insight. Listen, this is a spiritual book. Okay, with our physical senses, our eyes and our ears and our physical understanding, we're not going to be able to understand everything. But God who has given us His Holy Spirit within us, when we just study His Word and when we feed the Spirit and when we pray before Him, when we enjoy fellowship with believers and we gain encouragement from one another, when we listen to teachings and podcasts and we set our minds on things above, Colossians 3 says, when we feed the Spirit within us, it will reap, the result will be everlasting life, good friendships, healthy friendships, healthy relationships, healthy dating relationships, healthy marriage, uh, healthy children. Listen, this doesn't promise a perfect life. But the principle is, you feed the Spirit, the guarantee is everlasting life. And the potential, uh, the principle that will follow it is a healthy walk on this earth. You have to feed the Spirit. Feed the Spirit within your life. This is our key verse. I'm going to end on this from Romans chapter 6, verse 22. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. So who will you feed? Will you feed the flesh or will you feed the Spirit? The beautiful thing is that in our own strength, we can't do it, but the same power that raised God, that raised Jesus from the dead lives within us. We're not alone. We have each other. We have God's Spirit living within us. Feed the Spirit. Reap everlasting life. God loves you. I love you. I want what's best for you. 
And this is a journey that we're all walking together. This process of sanctification, this process of just pursuing holy living, we're all in this journey together. We're all in this walk. Let's encourage one another in the Word. Let's discipline ourselves to feed the Spirit and let God be given the glory and let us reap everlasting life as a result. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, this is uh, convicting. It's sobering. It's encouraging. It's life-giving all at once, Lord. And Lord, we are human We are made of flesh and bones, Lord. We still live in our physical, sinful bodies. We will not be rid of sin until we go to be with you in heaven when we pass from this earth. But Lord, I pray for the time being, Lord, I pray that you would help us, Lord. That you would reignite that flame within us, Lord, that has a desire to read your word, that has a desire for the things of the Lord, that has a desire to pursue holiness. So, Lord, fill us with your Spirit. Baptize us with your Holy Spirit, Lord. And please, Lord, we just, we just plead with you, Lord, that you would just help us walk in newness of life, Lord. And when we do that, Lord, your word promises that we will reap joy, that we will reap love, that we will reap healthy relationships, that in the end we will reap everlasting life if we feed the Spirit and we stop feeding the flesh. So, Lord, we just ask for your help. We can't do this alone, Lord. We are weak. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, Lord. So I pray that you would help us, Lord, that you would encourage us, that you would help us to be disciplined, Lord. In response to everything you've done for us, in response to the grace we've been given, Lord, may we continue to walk in your grace. And may we continue just as a response to your love for us. May we continue to live for you in all holiness and in all godliness, Lord. So we just present ourselves to you, Lord. And we ask that you would do your filling work in our lives, Lord, so that we might produce a harvest, Lord, that that honors and pleases you, Lord. So encourage us, Lord, um, as we go about our week, Lord. Just fill us with good things, Lord. Just cleanse our mind and our hearts, Lord. Guard us and protect us from the enemy. And help us to live for you and honor you in all that we say and do so that we can be a light and an example to our unbelieving friends who don't know you, Lord, so that we can point them to Christ. Help us, Lord, be an example to our family, our friends who don't know you, Lord. And may our life as a result, may people see our life, Lord. And may they crave what they don't have, a relationship with you. May we lead them by our example, Lord, by living in holiness. We love you. Help us, Lord. Empower us with your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.